I'll get emotional here. I'm American. And there's too many empty church buildings in America. And it's just a, what a tremendous joy it is to see that God has decided he's not done with this facility. That he's brought you here to put life back in it. And I'm just so thankful of that. And I don't know who rented it and why or whatever. But if you just go through my country, you just find so many buildings that are being closed now because nobody wants to go to them anymore. So I'm just thankful. You know, this is doubly exciting. Not only are we here in CCFLA, and I think I made it clear to you all that one of my main functions now with CCF is going to be overseeing the CCF International Satellites, which is what you are. And uh, what's the difference between a satellite and a national church plant? A national church plant would be when we go to a country, find indigenous people, people that are part of that country, and they build a church with their pastor, okay? Um, What we're looking at with international satellites is we're looking at the core of Filipinos that are migrating throughout the world, okay? They're like missionaries. And the thing that's so exciting about it is so many of them that have come through CCF want to see discipleship multiplication going on in the country they're in. So although this is not going to be a Filipino church, and we agree with that, this is just going to be a church, a Bible church for anyone to come to. Our core to start with are people that we know because that's how we're contacting them. So whether you know it or not, and I think most of you too, but yesterday, okay, which was the 14th in New Zealand, we saw another CCF satellite start on a Sunday morning with Pastor Ryan Escobar in Auckland, New Zealand. Yeah. So right now, we officially have three, Singapore, CCFLA, and CCF Auckland. But just what I've gotten in a while, we've got a CCF up in Shoshawan, Canada. They're sending us pictures. We got one that wants to be in Edmonton, Canada. We've got somebody in Toronto. We have a group in New York City. There's a group in London. So, so just all I can tell you is to just keep praying that uh, not only will you catch on, and this is what I'm actually praying for your leaders, that other churches out here, from smaller ones to even Mr. MacArthur's down the street, will decide that they want to send some of their leaders to learn the D12 model. We're not interested in trying to grab people from their church. What we want to see happen is as this church grows, that we also see in every country we're in, that they catch the vision of the movement that God began through Peter Tanji so long ago, that there should be more to a church than just coming together and worshiping on Sunday mornings, although that is very important. But that is not the Christian life. That is part of the Christian life. The Christian life is getting into each other's lives in relationship and helping each other. And we do need that, don't we? In this day and age, it's pretty tough, isn't it, out there? And if you're going it alone... You're going to find it a very hard, hard path. Now, I was going to ask your pastor, Danny, or Insong, to tell me my points from my last message on intimacy. But I didn't want to do that to him. So, If you remember, about four months ago, I think it was, I spoke on intimacy in the age of Facebook. And what we talked about was how busy we become. We're going to do two more messages on intimacy. This week, I'm going to talk about an unusual one. And next week, I'm going to be talking about a person who lived with Jesus Christ, yet did not believe in him. 
And I want to emphasize that because it's very easy to be close to something and still not see it at all. Very possible. Okay. But what I want to talk about today is this. I want to first challenge you on a little word. The word is routine. Now, routine is a good word. Wouldn't you agree? In some ways, isn't it? If, if you have a routine with getting up with God, whenever you wake up, see, I don't say in the morning because some of you, you wake up at 4 p.m., right? Because you worked all night long. I mean, that's third shift. I used to do that. So whenever you start your day, it's a great routine to get up and spend some time with God. It's great to have routine times of prayer with God. Um, I know for myself, if I had had a routine when I was 15 to 20 years old, of only eat till you're full. I would have never gotten wide. Right? Because really, isn't that true? I mean, I don't stop eating when I'm full. I continue to eat because I like the taste. So all I'm saying is if I had developed a routine early in my life that says, okay, you know what? What? Bosu. Busag. No, hold it. Busog. Busog. Hey. Hey, man. It's been tough this last couple months. I'm learning... Spanish from some, anyway, so. Busogba. If I could have said that, you know, I'm done. Here's the problem with routine. And I want to warn you about it. Routine can also lull you into an unconscious state. You kind of just do it, right? You know, we're down here singing. I've joked about this before, but, you know, we're supposed to be singing Amazing Grace. And we're going, McDonald's or Taco Bell. Right? Because we're singing the words, but our brain is thinking, who's playing? Uh, who's going to be in the World Series or football? Right? It's real easy for our mind. Why? Because every Sunday we get together and we sing songs. And I know the words. And they're up there. Okay. Why do I have this map? This is just an illustration of how dangerous routine is. In a funny way. There's a guy that I know that lives in Dallas, Texas, where the bee is. Every year, like clockwork, he goes to a seminar. He's a pastor. He goes to a seminar in Houston. Now, the difference is some years he decides he only wants to spend an hour getting there, so he flies. Other years he decides, you know what, I think I'll just enjoy a drive. It's a four-hour drive from Dallas to Houston. Okay? So, this one year, just like he always did before, he went to the seminar. He gets done with the seminar, takes off from Houston, lands in Dallas, waits and waits, and his wife is not there, which is unusual. He finally calls the house. His wife answers the phone. He says, honey, what are you doing? She says, what do you mean, what am I doing? He says, I've been down here at Dallas Airport waiting waiting for you for over an hour. She said, dear, you drove the car to Houston. I see what happened. He was so into a routine of going to the seminar that he was not even conscious, how did I get here this time? This poor man had to now get on a plane in Dallas, fly back to Houston to pick up his car, which was left at the seminar. Now, no big tragedy, just kind of embarrassing and expensive. But here's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about trying to break your routine. What do I mean? I want to challenge you on a new way to have intimacy with God. 
Okay? You're going, wow. Does this mean I get to think of all my enemies and hate them, and then I get close to God? No. That's not what it means. Yeah, no, sorry. Here's, here's what I'm saying. The routine to be close to God is a good one. You spend time with God and His Word. You spend time in communion and prayer and talk. You spend time in fellowship with your brethren. That's a good routine. But here's what I want to challenge you. When you find that the routine is not bringing forth the results that you desire, okay? Me, for instance. I was doing that routine and I was still deep into pornography. Okay? I was trying my best to be close to God, but I kept falling into that sin. And this is what the Holy Spirit basically said, Nate, when you try the front door and it's not working anymore, go to the back door. And if it doesn't work there, go to the window. And if you can't get something to change by going through the window, then go down the chimney. In other words, change something. It doesn't mean throw the routine away. I'm not telling you that if you want to pursue intimacy with God, you shouldn't spend time in devos with God. You shouldn't spend time in fellowship and small group. All that's important. What I am telling you is, you need to see if you could break a routine in a different way. And that's why I chose this one, because it's a different one. We're taught not to hate. So, Nate, how can you say intimacy with God through hate? Well, first of all, let me define intimacy again. Now, I gave you a long definition last time. This one, let me just give you a very simplistic one. Intimacy is closeness. It's based on a commonality, though, okay? Something in common. And you need to know it does not have to be good. That's important to understand. In fact, I'm about to show you an example of people that became intimate and it was over the wrong thing. But I want to show you how this works. Okay? So I'm going to have you read two scriptures with me from Mark and Luke. But first, I want to commit the time to the author. Father, thank you for your word. Just ask that you will bless us right now as we consider shaking our life up. Perhaps we haven't been as close to you as we could be. And perhaps you're going to show us a new avenue to try. There's many. I just chose one. Lord, let us continue the routines that we know are important for a close walk with you. But let us be always open for the Holy Spirit to show us a new door to open to see if it will cause a new reaction in our life with you. Again, I thank you for this time. Spirit of God, I do ask that you'll find fertile soil in our heart to plant the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mark 3.6 The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians. Now, let me give you some history. When Jesus Christ walked the earth, there was a ruling religious party, okay, called the Sanhedrin for the Jewish nation. They were not in charge. Rome was in charge. But they tried to govern their group underneath Rome. The Sanhedrin was made up of two, three groups. Scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees. Now we know the most about Pharisees and Sadducees. They really disliked each other, okay? They really argued a lot with each other. Do you know the difference between a Pharisee and a Sadducee? Okay? A Pharisee believes in resurrection of life. A Sadducee does not believe in resurrection of life, that's why they're sad, you see. Okay? 
Now you know, and you'll keep that with you. That's the truth. <clears throat> so when somebody tells you a Pharisee Sadducee, well, the Sadducees don't believe in life after death. That's why they're sad, you see. But there was also another group. Now, they were not a religious group. They were a political group. They were called the Herodians. They had their allegiance to Herod, King Herod, and tried to get the Jews to submit to all the Roman rules. And folks, they were treated, okay? I mean, we're talking uh, Wolanghia, okay? Yeah. They were treated like traitors. You have no shame that you turn on your people that way. That's the way they were felt. The Pharisees despised the Herodians even more than the Sadducees. And notice what this says. The Pharisees went out and immediately, look at this intimacy, began what is working together, planning with the Herodians against Jesus. Amazing. See, hate can unite. Luke 23, 12. Now Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day. What day? The day that Christ was crucified. For before they had been enemies with each other. These two men were united by fear, obviously, but also hatred. Hatred that Jesus was causing them the problem he was. So, the reason I want to use this is because we've been trained as Christians, and rightly so, that we're to love. Hate is not supposed to be in us, but you got to give that a context. That means towards other people. We are not to hate our enemies. We're to love our enemies. So I want to emphasize there is a hate that is good. <clears throat> Let's look at Psalm 5.4. But you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. If you don't take pleasure in something, you hate it. See, what does it mean to hate? To hate means to detest something. I don't want any part of this. I want it away from me. So if I hated this water, I could throw it to the back of the auditorium and get it out of my presence. I don't hate this water, though. I like this water, so it's good water. God takes no pleasure, no evil dwells with you. Psalm 45, 6 through 7, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Now, if I were to ask you folks that have read the Bible and to think through and say, okay, now, if I was going to ask you for authors of the books of the Bible that you think were close to God, We'd all have a few different authors on our list. But I think all of us here would have the authors of Psalms. Because when we read the Psalms, we can tell that the writers are living close to God. Well, let's look at what they say. Psalm 119.104, From your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Therefore I esteem right all your precepts concerning everything I hate every false way. I hate and despise falsehood, but I love your law. Hate evil, you who love the Lord, who preserves the souls of his godly ones. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Now, another guy that was very close to God, now, he lost his walk for a while. We believe he came back. But Solomon was very close to God. I mean, 
What other man do you know of in Scripture that God went to and said, ask whatever you want? I mean, he's almost like the genie, right? God was so impressed with Solomon's love for him. He said, Solomon, ask for whatever you want. And we know that Solomon asked for wisdom, which really let God, he said, I'm so delighted in you. Let's read what he writes. This is, oh, by the way, <clears throat> the beginning of wisdom is what? Fear of the Lord, right? That's what the Bible says in Proverbs. The beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. Notice this. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Oh, okay. The beginning of wisdom is fear of our God. The same author writes, the fear of the Lord is what? To hate evil. To hate evil. So, let me give you an example. Now, i got to be careful. <clears throat> I want to be very careful here because I this is my home country. When I speak about this in the Philippines, it's not a big problem because divorce is illegal in the Philippines. So I don't take a great chance of offending many people. I want to state this very clearly, okay? Because I've preached this message in several pure American congregations, okay? And there's lots of broken marriages in those congregations that I'm preaching at. And I wanted to caution them and say, listen, I'm not talking about you feeling bad about your situation. That's between you and God. And God knows that he can uh, <clears throat> reconcile and bring everything to where he wants it to be. But that does not take away our honest approach. Now, I have several friends that are divorced. Two of them, I think, very much had a biblical reason for it. But they're mature enough to say, you know what, Nate? What? God hates my divorce. He allowed it to happen. He gave me the blessing to get out of a very unfaithful situation. But he still hates it. And that's that's really what Christians should be. We should be mature enough that even though it makes us a little uncomfortable. Now, here's why I want to share this example. If the church in America, it's America only, if the church in, in America really hated divorce the way God hated it, okay? Notice Malachi 2.16, for I hate divorce. I mean, is there any argument there? <clears throat> Does he say, I kind of don't like it? I mean, he's pretty strong here. God's pretty tough. He says, I hate divorce. Does that mean he doesn't allow it? No. Did that, does that mean that he doesn't understand it? No. In fact, Jesus said, because of the hardness of your heart. What do you mean? Some of you people won't keep your vows. That's what Jesus was saying to the Jews. Some of you will not keep your vows to be faithful, and because of that, God has allowed your spouse to end the marriage. That doesn't mean God wants it to happen. If we hated divorce like God does, <clears throat> unbelievers in my country, the number of marriages that end in divorce, just the first divorce, okay? If you get into multiple, it gets really crazy. But just their marriages end in divorce. 33% are divorced. 33. Look at the church. 32. I mean, that's astounding. For people who say they belong to Jesus and they will love what he loves and hate what he hates, there's a one percentage point difference. And here's the thing that really disturbs me. There are ten reasons given for divorce by this um, poll, I guess I'd call it. Okay, there's not one reason. 
Here are the top ten reasons for divorce among believers and unbelievers in America. Now look at this list. Communication breakdown. Infidelity. That's the one Jesus talked about. Financial problems. Okay. Both of these next two we all hate. Emotional abuse and physical abuse. What is physical incompatibility? What, my pecs migrated to my abs, so now we're in trouble? Is that what we're talking about? The husband realizes his wife has experienced gravity, so her body's changed. Or he complains about her stretch marks after five children. Right? Loss of interest. What is the... Well, I've decided I like cycling. Well, okay. Shift in priorities. I've decided my priority is to be single. Oh, okay. Failed expectations. You didn't amount to everything I thought you should have. Well, join the club, honey. Right? Addiction. Now, now here's my point. Which one of these can God not change? Can God change communication breakdown? Yes. Martha and Mary had zero communication with Lazarus. You know why? He was dead. So he never talked back when they talked to him. He just laid there. Yet Jesus Christ in John 11 raised Lazarus and brought him back to his sisters. There isn't any one of these except one that God cannot change. And that's infidelity. He can't change infidelity. He can give you the grace to forgive it. He can. I've seen him do it. He can't change it, though. If you've been unfaithful, you've been unfaithful. There's no getting around that. You don't get a second chance on that one. It's like virginity. Okay? But every one of these others, every one of the others on this list, and you know what? It's funny. The only one that God clearly has stated is a loophole. Now, there's arguments about two other issues. I'm not going to get into those. But the clear one about can a person get divorced is in Matthew 19, and it's on infidelity. And it basically says, if your spouse is habitually committing adultery and you decide you can't take it anymore. But the church is getting divorced almost at the same percentage rate as unbelievers over these ten reasons. So, here's what we could do. I could just make this message really short and just say, we could say across the board, God hates sin, so I hate sin. That sounds good. Okay, Nate. God hates sin, so I hate sin, so now we're done. Except, and I want to challenge you on this, the problem is it's like general confession of sin. Okay? If all you do in your sin life, folks, of confession is, Lord, Father, just forgive me for my sin today. Next day. Lord, Father, just forgive me for my sin today. Next Lord, Father, forgive me. And if God ever chose to, I know what he'd say. He'd say, what sin? Which one are you talking about? Why would he do that? Because he's mean? No. Until you identify where you're struggling, I can't show you how to deal with it. You can't put it in a general term. You need to say, Lord, forgive me for hating so-and-so. Now I can show you how to love so-and-so. Well, it works the same way. Because what you struggle with is different than what I struggle with. And so if I want to try and teach you how to be intimate with God through hate, You've got to learn to identify what sins in your life are prevalent, are are really there, strongly held. 
that shows that you don't hate them like God does. Now, I am a teacher at heart. I'm a shepherd. And so what my plan, yeah. So what my plan is, <clears throat> amen. I'm glad you agree. What I want to do is I want to give you very quickly before we finish this message, I want to give you the two reasons why this is important and then I'm going to give you a verse as an example. Now the reason I'm going to do that is this. From this book, from Genesis through Revelation, if you read it, you'll be shocked how many times you find out that God hates specific issues. Now God hates all sin, I agree. But just for some reason, God names certain things. And one of them, Danny may be struggling with and Nathan isn't. So it's really important that Danny, oh, wow, this verse. And then another verse, I get, oh, that doesn't affect Danny at all, but it does. That's one of my failures. And so the point is, if I can teach you today through one verse how to do this, then from now on, whenever you read the scripture, if you see something that Jesus says, I hate this, or God says, I hate that, or Paul says, God hates this, or David said, God hates that, and you see it prevalent in your life, you see it really manifest, manifesting in your life, hopefully from today's lesson you go, oh yeah, now here's what I do. So first, let's look at the two reasons. Why is it important that we identify specific sins? Well, the reality of the issue. The issue is we are saved. Right now, believe it or not, God sees me glorified, which is spooky, because this is not the glorified state. I'm positive of that, okay? But God sees us through Christ. Huh? Which means he sees us sinless. Even though we're not. And so what you need to understand is the reality is, although we are completely forgiven and one in Christ, God sees that we still live in the flesh. Now notice what Galatians 5.17 says. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Now, I, I'm a NASB. That's New American Standard. That's, uh, it's, it's older English, though. Let me read it to you in a version, the New Living Testament. It just reads so clear, okay? The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. See, you got to realize that you're living in a war until Jesus comes or death. That's it. I wish I could tell you something better, but it's not true. You are going to be in a spiritual war till the day you go home. And it's very important that you start to identify what sins have footholds in your life. So you can allow the Holy Spirit to show you how to have victory over them. Now here's the second thing, is the tragic outcome. If we pick and choose which sins we will hate, I really hate rape and murder. Okay? How how many people raped or murdered this week? Right? I mean, really, right? Yeah, I can hate those, but how about if I only dislike certain others? What happens is we create a level of sin that is acceptable to us. Now, let me show you how this works. Let me choose the women. Women, let's say you marry a guy, okay? And this guy, I mean, when you think about him, every time you start to go out the door, he opens it for you. 
When he drives up in the car, he gets out and he opens the car door. And you're not even dating anymore. You're married. Every week he brings you a dozen roses. Ah, tell a guy. What a guy! There's only one problem he has. Whenever he addresses you, he says, Hey, Bobo. Here's the door, stupid. Have some flowers, stupid. I love you, stupid. How close do you think you'd be to him? Don't you think that'd start to irritate you after a while, you know? Oh, but he holds the door and he brings me flowers and he tells me he loves me. Yeah, but he always calls me stupid. See, when we develop levels like that, that's what we're doing. We're telling God, I love you, stupid. That's what we're doing. Now, I'm not saying victory. Don't read that. I'm not saying you got to have victory in every sin. We will continue to struggle. I'm saying when we decide to settle down and live with some of them. This one's not so bad, so I'm not going to worry about it. Masama. A guy wrote a great book on this. Jerry Bridges, Respectable Sins. It's a good book. I've got the audible unabridged. It's fun to listen to. So, how does it work? The better application for us is to be specific so the Holy Spirit can help us root it out. Okay? So, I'm going to look at one verse, and we're going to see how you would approach this. So, let's take this verse right here. Proverbs 6. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. Now, what I find very interesting is five of these deal with the personal individual. Isn't it interesting? God picks a part of the body. Eyes, hands, heart. And two of them have to do with our interaction with other people. Now, that's a pretty good ratio to me. Here's what I have found. Five to two. The more I'm right with God, the more easy it is for me to be right with my man, my fellow man. The more off I am with God, the more easy it is for me to dislike people. And that's why I think it's broke down this way. God is trying to challenge us. You need to take a hard look inside first. Then you'll also see that I'm not happy with how you treat others when it deals with these two things. And then, they'll go ahead and we know that it's not just these. The scripture has many other things about one anothering and how God dislikes. But I couldn't cover that. We don't have enough time. But see, what I'm going to give you is illustrative teaching today on what do I do when I discover, wow, God hates that. And you know what? I think that exists in my life. So what do I do? So let's take it one at a time. Haughty eyes. Now, Paul, when writing to Timothy about picking leaders, he says, don't let it be a new convert so that he will not become conceited, that's proud, haughty eyes, that's what pride is, and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. Isn't that interesting? Do you know the very, 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 very first sin that entered the universe was done by a creature that God made? Okay? A cherub called Lucifer or Satan or the devil. Now let me describe to you his fall. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until upright and unrighteousness was found in you. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. 
You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. He became proud. Okay, so let's say that you've got a pride problem. Okay? Anybody struggle with pride? Because I do. All it takes for me is to get an argument with my wife and my pride kicks in. I'm the man. I'm the head of the household. Right? Pride. So what do you do with pride? You go the opposite. Now, Now notice how this works. If you hate pride like God hates pride, it's going to chase you back to God's lap because he's the only one that can help you deal with it. You can't work yourself out of it. You can't seminar yourself out of it. You can't go get teachings and sayings and all the tapes and go to sleep with somebody talking in your ear. That doesn't work, folks. Why? Remember Galatians? Because the flesh continues to love to do wrong. So the only one that has the deliverance power that you need. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't take uh, sweat from us. It does. It takes very strong concentrated effort the right way, which is yielding, not working, yielding, dying to self, giving up your rights. And when you find yourself in the lap of daddy, he can show you how to have correct humility, not humiliation. It's not humiliation. Humiliation is shame, which we should feel when we do what's wrong. I'm talking about humility. Notice what Jesus says here. Whoever humbles himself as this child, listen, he is the greatest. How close do you think the greatest person in the kingdom is to God? So if you got a pride problem, stop being such an intellectual adult and become a kid in the lap of your father. You don't like what somebody says about you? Have enough courage, and I know I find it very difficult. I'm a very defensive person. You gotta go back to your father and say, Is this you trying to tell me something? Doesn't matter what their motive was. Is there truth in what they said? That's that's a statement of humility. Okay? So notice you start with the thing that you've identified. God hates this. Then you move to the opposite. So let me show you how this works again. Lying tongue. If you remember in Proverbs, it says, I hate a lying tongue. Now, let's not pick the easy lie, okay? The easy lie is the cop gets you going 80 miles an hour, and you say your pedometer is broke, and you're lying through your teeth, okay? Oh, it's broke. Oh, yeah, really, yeah, okay. I'm not talking about those obvious lies. Those are things we all have to really get a hold of and say, I'm not going to do that. I'm talking about another problem of lying that God just really hates. And he brought it out in Amos. I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. What? They were gathering for worship. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. You know, right now I could tell you about eight people's names that I know have never forgiven, they're still angry at people in their own church, and yet they go to worship like everything's okay. I know, and I know some of my brothers here know men 
that have been in the pulpit preaching for years while having an adulterous affair. And I'm going, how do you do that? How do you leave on Sunday and Monday go to another woman that's not your wife? And yet they do it. One of my favorite teachers had an affair for eight years while his church grew from 400 to 1,200. You know what God says? I hate that. It's a lie. You're kidding yourself. Okay? Be honest with yourself. When you praise God with one tongue and curse someone else with another tongue, what's the Bible say about that? So what's the opposite? Well, the opposite, obviously, is integrity. Integrity means you've got to be as honest as you possibly can. Remember David? David was a man after what? God's own heart. And when God is telling Solomon how he wants him to be a king, he says, as for you, if you will walk before me as your father David walked in integrity of heart. Nate, he committed adultery. Yes! And it actually took a prophet named Nathan to confront him. But when he got confronted, he didn't look at Nathan and says, off with his head, because he could have. He was the king. He broke. And he wept before his father. And when his father, as punishment, took his baby, he didn't curse God. He accepted it and he says, I know that you you took him to you, first of all. That baby skipped over this whole life of sinful living. I don't know why we think it's so terrible. I'm not glad when a baby dies. Don't get me wrong. But I'm talking about in the eternal perspective, they go through none of this nonsense. They go right to the presence of the Lord. But as a parent, it'd be so easy to get bitter, wouldn't it? God, how could you do that? I asked your forgiveness. I repented. No. I chose to bring your child to me, David. And what did David do? It says he worshiped the Lord. See, that's integrity. I can't blame someone else for this. This consequence is on me. Integrity. If it means you got to sit somewhere else on a Sunday, shake yourself up so you don't lose track. Come up here and sit right in front of the songs so you pay attention to what's going on. Whatever it is. Have enough integrity to say, I'm going to get as honest as I can with God. Okay? Stop going to shows on TV that put wrong thoughts in your mind. And stop making excuses for doing it. Integrity. Hands that shed blood. Now, I want to be careful here because obviously the culture at this time literally meant shed blood. But that's not what the Hebrew word only means. The Hebrew word used here has to do with defending the defenseless. Now, the first time I preached this message was at CCF Makati. And it was interesting how the Lord handled it that day for me. As I drove to Makati, my wife and I were in the car together. We drove up and there were four yuppies outside having their lattes. Okay? Nothing wrong with that. But right behind them was one of the most wretched-looking little kids I've ever seen. Skinny, dirty, picking through the garbage. And my wife looked at me, and her eyes started to water. And so did mine. I I said, "I, I don't know what to do. I mean, what do we do? 
If I stop for every homeless kid trying to get to CCF Makati, I won't get there till that evening. What do you do, Lord? Well, here's the opposite. You defend the defenseless. Now, here's what I want to challenge you on. You can't fix it all. Either can I. But do you take time to even notice? Because if you don't, you will never see the one that the Holy Spirit wants you to help. See? It's not our job to fix everybody and to help everybody. We can't do it. But you know what? It's real easy for Christians to just walk by the people. we got our own little club. We're enjoying it. And we don't even notice them. And what I'm trying to tell you is, when you have an attitude of, Lord, I don't know who or how many you want me to help, but I want to be aware of those that need my help. Whether it be financial help or spiritual help. When you have a friend ripping Christians apart, maybe you shouldn't get angry. Maybe you ought to ask, what wounds or, or pain do they have to feel that way about Jesus Christ? And don't preach at them. Just let the Holy Spirit show you step by step how to get to them. James says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God, of our God and fathers is to visit orphans and widows in their distress. My first two years of ministry, and I was, I was working two other jobs and going to college, so I wasn't being paid for this. I used to go to Wahoo Prison three nights a week. And it was a joy to work with some of those wretched people in society. They were horrible people. And yet it was incredible to watch God redeem them. And nobody outside cared about them. They locked the key and said goodbye. Heart that devises wicked plans. Now, please don't go and think that this means you're getting together with some people and planning evil. Your heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. So when you awake in the morning... If you don't proactively move, you're going to devise evil plans. You're going to end up doing what the flesh wants to do. Okay? So don't don't glorify this. Don't make this something that, oh, I'm going out and I'm planning to, to shoot someone on the road today. No. What we're talking about is if you don't get up that morning and say, Lord, today's another day for you. That's why I put the opposite is proactively good. You're being proactive in your goodness. You're not just letting it happen. Okay? Galatians 6.10 So then while we have opportunity, let us all do good to all people, and especially to those who are the household of faith. You're asking, Lord, how can I serve you today? Feet that run rapidly to evil. Did you know that God hates that? Feet that run rapidly to evil. You know what that one is? Listen carefully on this. When you start thinking about feet that run rapidly to evil, how quickly? Like when you walk up to a a people and they're sharing juicy gossip about someone, how quickly do you join in and share some too? Oh, let me tell you this one. Yeah, or even do it on texting. Did you know gossip doesn't have to be done by the mouth? It can be done by the thumb. Yeah. Now, what do I mean by immediate obedience? Let me give you a good example. Okay, immediate obedience, forgiveness. Let me pick on Danny. Let's say Danny offended me. Okay? You know what I have happened in my office? I had this happen a lot in my life as a pastor. I hear this. Well, pastor, 
I don't feel like forgiving him. Do you know what I want to do? I've never done this. You know what I want to do? I want to stand up and go, I don't care what you feel! <laughs> but see, they'd never come back. You know, they'd, they'd run out of my office and never come. But that's what I want to do. I just want to... Why? Did Jesus Christ wait till he felt something? Or did he do it because it's what he did? Does the Bible says forgive them as you feel you want to... Or does it say forgive them as you have been... Folks, I was forgiven before I was born. Jesus died 2,000 years before I even existed. And yet my sins were on him then. So here's what I want you... It's a great lesson. Listen. This is what I've learned. When Danny offends me, and he never has, but when he has, and I say I forgive you, the more I say it in time, the emotions catch up. I have never seen the feeling come first and then the words. Uh Uh-uh. That's exactly what Satan wants. It gives him a foothold in the life of bitterness. But when you can say, I'm going to now, oh, you're being a hypocrite. You don't feel it. No, that's not true. Forgiveness is a willful decision. I hope I get to feel it sometime. But I'm going to keep saying, I forgive. I forgive. Every time I have a little fantasy of beating Danny up again. No, I forgive him. That's right. You don't just forgive once, folks. Because a couple days go by and then you see him and you... Oh, no, wait a minute. I forgave him. And the more you... See, this is what I mean by immediate obedience. You know, we get this from Samuel. When Saul went and did what he shouldn't have done, and Samuel says this, Behold, to obey is better than a sacrifice. God doesn't care what your intention in your heart was as much as what the actions of your heart was. Intentions can be deceitful, but your actions show. I understand that because I live with a lot of good intentions and sometimes my actions don't follow. So I see how far I've got to grow, folks. Okay, let's wrap this up. False witness who utters lies. Okay, let me just challenge you. This isn't just, again, um, telling false truths. You know what the problem is on this? Is I find that even in the Church of Christ, favoritism is a real problem. Somebody does a sin and we don't like them, we will bring down confrontation. And, but someone that we like does the same sin. Oh, come on, let's, you know, we got to give them a chance to be restored. That's lying. That's lying. There should be no favoritism. There needs to be justice. If you're going to give grace to this person, you give grace to that person. It also means being honest, as hard as that is. When somebody says, oh, I want to be, I want to get up here and sing a special. And they sound like a cat being run over by a jeepney. You know, you've you got to be honest enough to say, we love you. Go make a joyful noise in your shower, but don't do it here. I'm sorry. You don't help people to do that to them. Okay? So, so all I'm saying is there's no, you can't, you know, we have people that protect relatives that break the law because it's their relative. If it was someone they didn't like, they'd be the first one to call the cops. Oh, he's right here. This is wrong. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in the spirit of partiality. 
James 3.17, but, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, listening, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism. One who spreads strife among brothers. Now this one I'm just going to speak real clearly to. In CCF Philippines, we started a program called GLC. And we're trying to help people get a Bible Institute type training. And there were some people that didn't like it. Now here's my problem. I got no problem with you not liking it. But keep it to yourself. Why do you think you have a right to go 10 or 12, 30, 40, 50 other people and get up a division in the body? If you don't like it, don't go. Nobody put a gun to your head. Don't go. But don't go stir up strife over it. That's like somebody getting mad because I don't wear a suit. Okay? If you don't like the fact that I don't wear a suit and tie, don't like it. Pray for me. Lord, strike him with a tie. (laughs) But do you got to go tell a bunch of other people? Do you? Do you You know, I even challenge you, when you share stories about things that happen, don't mention the ethnic background of the person. White guy, a black guy, a Chinese guy. Don't mention if it was a woman or a guy driver. Why? Does it matter what they were? The issue you're telling the story is the car did this. And it was a woman. Oh, they're all that way. Well, they're not all that way. So in other words, what happens is when the Holy Spirit starts to make you a peacemaker, you start, you know, and this is really hard for one like me. Okay. Madaldal Nalko. Okay. I know I say it wrong, but too bad. You say other words wrong. Okay. I've heard some of you say victory, you know, victory, what's, no, okay, right? So I know I get the wrong accent on Madaldal, but you know what I mean. I talk a lot. And my wife, you know, this has been a constant fight with my wife and I because she's, I know she's trying to help me. Sometimes I just, I say too much about a situation that, that doesn't need to be said and it doesn't bring peace. It's one thing when I'm talking to Danny about a critical issue in the leadership of the church and we're talking as leaders to try and fix it. It's another thing when we just share off the cuff things that really don't matter. And it's hard. It's hard. I don't know about you, but as far as human beings, we like to, oh yeah, did you hear about, yeah, wow. Okay. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Look at this one. This is my favorite verse. If possible what if possible wow if possible what if possible that means are you doing everything you can if i you hate glc so much you despise it then leave ccf if possible if possible so far as it depends on you some people won't let you have peace no matter what you do, they'll turn it, they'll twist it. They'll. T- but you know what? You know that person. You know when that happens. And you go, you know what? I've done everything I can. And I'm still willing to do whatever you want me to do in the future. But right now, I just got to let it go. Because this person is not interested in peace. They want war. Be at peace with all men. So here's some questions for you. Now, if you're going to do this in discussion group, do not, I'm not asking you to be specific. Okay, you don't have to name the sin. Okay, 
yes, I'm trying to be. Oh, you disgusting pig. No, okay, you know. But what I do want you to be is specific as far as honesty of, yeah, you know, I do think there are some sins in my life that I like a little too much. I don't really hate them like God does. So notice what these say. Are there sins in your life you've accepted? You don't have to be specific in your small groups. But you, I mean, you can. It's up to you how intimate your small group is. But when you discuss this today, be honest. Because if you're honest enough to say, you know, I really look at and there's some things I think I've just allowed, then you can just tell the group, pray for me. Or what can we do about that? How can we as a group? Do you hate what God hates or do you just hate some of what God hates? And lastly, if you were to ask God to enable you right to enable you to hate something in your life right now, what would it be? And again, I'm praying that it's not your spouse or, you know, (laughs) only joking. I'm hoping it's, yeah, you know, when I think about it, I really need some supernatural intervention. I need to hate that. Not judge it, okay? You understand? Don't run around make other people feel bad because you know they commit the same sin. It's kind of like the divorce issue I brought up. Fifty years ago in my country, the sad part was the church didn't hate divorce. They hated divorcees. And it chased them out of the church. That's not right. I've never felt less about anyone I've met that's divorced. I, I hurt for them. Good gravy. You get married to get divorced? Forget it. You don't do that. Unless you're in Hollywood. That's Well, you do. Because you write a prenup. And that means you're planning a divorce. But for most normal people... We get married to be forever. Well, what happened was the church got so judgmental on divorce that they confused it with divorcees. So I want to be careful here. I'm not saying that you disdain and judge anyone that you know or you even yourself. The Holy Spirit doesn't want you to look at yourself as despicable and undesirous in God's view. That's not the way God looks at it. What he wants you to do is focus your energy of hatred On the sin. So that means if you got a porn problem, you clean up the house. You get rid of the magazines. And see, we all playboys. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about Sports Illustrated models. Yeah, that shouldn't be in a house with men in it. Because that magazine's built to create one thing in a man's mind. If you got substance abuse problems, okay, don't sit there and say, well, I can control. No, you can't. Pour it down the drain and leave it. Okay? Don't keep buying stuff. Whatever it is, if you got a lead, if you got a problem getting up in the morning to go to work or school, set an alarm at night to go to bed. Turn the video off. Turn the TV off. Stop texting and go to bed. So you can get enough sleep to get up and do what you need to do. See, that's what I'm talking about. They're not always these big sins of murder and and rampage. They're things that are inconsistent in our life that God wants to help us with. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for the, the group here today. It's just such a thrill. Thank you that, again, I don't know the history of this facility. But there's nothing more troublesome to me to drive by a church building that was built with vision and hope and desire to glorify Christ. And now it's laying dormant and empty. What an exciting thing that you have brought a group of people, the real church, to be in this facility, which is not the church, it's a facility. 
But thank you that we can start to see a testimony from this facility to the people in this neighborhood and to our friends around. Just bless us today as we spend time in fellowship and discussing with each other. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to learn. This is not an immediate thing. It's not going to happen overnight, but one at a time, we can learn to hate sin in our life and allow the Holy Spirit to give us the victory over each one, one at a time. I just commit this time to you now. Spirit of God, search our hearts before we close. Just 10 seconds or so, Lord, and then whoever's going to close the service can. Spirit of God, search our hearts just now.